I hope let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As you're getting yourselves there, let's uh, gather our hearts together, though in separate places, and uh, pray to our God today. Lord, I remember the, uh, the chants and the anthems of those in Scripture who uh, saw the presence and, of the living God. Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your hand they were created and existed. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace with those, with those, to those with whom he is pleased. To the King of ages, eternal, immortal be glory and honor now in this time and forevermore. God, you have created us, by your hand we are formed. All of our physiology, our spirituality, the desires, the uh, fears, everything made by your hand, but by your, but uh, by our sin, stained and tainted and twisted and skewed. And God, we are longing people. We are desiring people, we are wanting people, and we are affectionate people, and we want joy, and we want happiness. Father, would we see you as our highest joy? Would we see your love for the church, the sacrifice that you made for the church, the, the cleansing power of your word for your church? And today, Lord, Cause us to recognize more the fullness of who you are, the reality of what comprises us as humans, and your grace and your mercy that draws us near so that we can find our fullness, our security, our satisfaction in you, the one who made us in your image. We do thank you for the church, this church, that we have a part to play in being co-workers with Christ as he builds his church. So Lord, would your word today instruct us and edify us so that we might better, more faithfully be able to participate with you in the work that you are doing to build your church. This we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Other day I was walking around... uh, Markham Village, not a lot I can do these days other than go out for walks, but walking around Markham Village, got into this area, and uh, noticed there was this street with uh, custom houses lined across the whole thing. Beautiful houses, all of them different, um, all needing foundations, but all built in different structures, different stonework, different colors, different doors, different fascia. Really beautiful. Any house, um, any house needs good blueprints. Any well-built house needs the right materials. The right design, the right materials, will allow a beautiful and a stable home to be built. Today's message is a topical one based off of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
verse 10 to verse 15. Last week in Matthew chapter 16, we saw that Jesus promised that he would build his church and we recognize that we can be co-workers with him as he fulfills what he promised. This week, we want to learn exactly how we can get building and do it in the best way that we can. It's time to get building. So today we're going to ask and answer three questions that will enable us to learn how we can build according to God's design, the blueprints, with the best materials. Those questions are, what are we building for? What are we building with? How can I start building today? And really the heart and the motivation for this topical message is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 15. So I'll read this text now. This is God's word. It says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ, Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Yes, it's a pandemic. Yes, we can only really interact in these separate spaces and online. Thank God for that grace. I wouldn't want to imagine what it was like if we didn't have that. But even in these unique times, it's time to get building. So let's look at the blueprints. Let's ask the first question. What are we building for? God's blueprint for his church plans four outcomes that God has designed. Four outcomes based on the two aspects of our identity as the church, as the people of God. So what are these four outcomes? Well, based on our identity as a community, God designed us for worship and God designed us for maturity. Worship and maturity. And based on our Uh, identity as a movement, the church is a community and movement, God also designed us for evangelism and for mercy. As a community, we are designed for worship and maturity. As a movement, we are designed for evangelism and for mercy. Let's briefly look at each of these. Worship. Yes, worship is a personal Lifestyle It encompasses and comprises absolutely everything that we do. But it can't just be reduced to something personal. Worship is a collaborative discipline. This kind of worship happens when the full number, number of a local congregation gathers together regularly to praise God, to worship God in spirit and in truth with prayers, with praise, with preaching, and practicing the ordinances of communion and baptism. Notice I said full number. 
I'm looking at a screen at home and there's just a few people in the room right now. This is kind of why worship feels so dull right now because we are stunted from being able to do what God has fully designed us to do and only in this synthetic way we can worship kind of as the church but really more in a personal way. It's challenging right now. God, come quickly. God has designed us for this though. Don't forget what it was like to be together. Don't forget what Good Fridays were like and Easter was like and Christmas Eve was like. Don't forget what it was like bumping shoulder to shoulder with people in the lobby. I hope you missed that. I do. That's what God designed us for. Old Testament, New Testament. In the Old Testament, God says how much he loves the gathered people getting together. In the Psalms, it actually says that God loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of, Ju- of Judah. The gates of Zion, the place where the people gathered together, God loves more than any other place in his chosen land. God loves it. Let's love it too. And right now we miss it. Don't forget though, God has designed us for this. As a community, we're created for worship. As a community, we're created for maturity. Maturity is what happens in, in between Sundays. In the book of Acts, they gathered the full number in the temples, but they also gathered in smaller numbers from house to house. Maturity is what happens in fellowship when we practice the one another's of Scripture, building each other up so that in our character we would comprise and with lifestyles that better reflect the image of Christ. We are a community, we are a movement. As a movement, we're designed for evangelism and for mercy. Both of these reflect our identity individually as Christians, collectively as the church, that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Okay, husbands, at home, you have two inseparable aspects to your identity in the home. Okay, you're a husband, and if you got kids also, you're a father. So you are who you are. So in this room here, Wayne Kong's with me, me here's with me, Ambrose is with me, all of us are men. We're also husbands, we're also fathers. As a father, you can't separate that you're also a husband. You're both. Christian, you are a follower of Christ, but you're also an ambassador for Christ. You cannot be one without also being the other. If you are a follower of Christ, then you are an ambassador for Christ. And as ambassadors, our calling is to spread the message, the good news of reconciliation, to evangelize. And as an ambassador, we represent Christ in our lifestyle. So in word and in deed, and Christ his heart, the weighty things that matters to him, if we're going to really worship in the way that God desires, isn't just being particular about the little ritualistic details of how we worship God. That's how the Pharisees did things. Yet they neglected the poor. Jesus said, these little things that you did, you should have done without neglecting the other. Christ 
wants us to be a merciful people. We're not like the Levite, not like the priest who passed over the man who was beaten on the road to Jericho. We are called to be merciful neighbors like the Good Samaritan who stopped, who gave at cost to the person who was in need for the benefit of their welfare. This is the blueprint for Christ's church, a community built for worship and maturity, a movement built for evangelism and for mercy. Hey, are you building according to God's design? Have you used this unique season as excuse to not build? There are challenges. There are things that, ways that I have not been able to contribute to God's mission like I've wanted to before. We just moved into an area about a year and a half ago, and we were just at the point where we had developed good relationships. We were, were ready to invite someone into our home, and we had a plan, and we had a date, and then lockdown. It's different, but it doesn't mean that we can be on the bench. This is what God is building for. So then, what should we be building with? If these are the blueprints, what are the precious materials? What are the things that are going to stand the test of time? It's time to get building. What should we be building with today? There are certainly more, but with our time today... In this topical message, I want to suggest three precious materials. Three strong and precious materials that God will use to build a stable and a beautiful church as we work as co-workers with Christ. The first, I think, is key to the other two. The first is building with a gospel mindset. And I invite you to turn to John chapter 8, to be able to see this. A gospel mindset. As a community, building with a balanced gospel mindset enables us to develop healthy relations in the church so that we can relate to each other as Christ relates to us. As a movement, a balanced gospel mindset will equip us, equip us to reach out to an unchurched culture, a culture that is antagonistic towards our faith, yet to reach out to these neighbors in a way that is winsome, a way that is respectful, and a way that is uncompromising to our witness. What does that balanced gospel mindset look like? John chapter 8 shows us a beautiful picture of it. Verse 2 to 8. It says, early in the morning, he, it's Jesus, he went to the temp- uh, came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They said this to test him that they might have some kind of charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, 
beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. A balanced gospel mindset. As a community enables us to build healthy relationships, as a movement enables us to reach an unchurched, antagonistic culture. A balanced gospel mindset keeps two things equally level. Number one, the comfort of grace in the gospel. With number two, the call to holiness from the gospel. Do you see how Jesus did this here? Clearly caught in sin, clearly guilty, people attempting to shame her publicly, but hear the comfort of grace in the gospel. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Yet, notice the call of the gospel as well, the holiness, go, and from now on, sin no more. You can see this same balance in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Hear the comfort. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Heed the call. Romans chapter 8 verse 13. By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. Hear the comfort. Since we have these promises beloved the promises of adoption and love as children of God, heed the call. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. This is the mindset that we as Christians must have in the church and in the world. Because really, ultimately, building the church is building and investing into people. And without a true gospel mindset that keeps both of these things in balance, we will miss being the type of people that interacts with others in the way that Christ does. See, and the challenge is that often we are imbalanced. We bend too much and overemphasize the comfort of the gospel to the neglect of the call, or we emphasize to the call and withhold the comfort. What about you? Which one do you bend towards more? For me, I probably bend more towards the call of holiness. But if we overemphasize the call of the gospel, like I can be prone to do, to the neglect of the comfort, what we end up is missing the beauty of the gospel and choosing legalism. That's what I can do. Legalism believes you can't really enjoy the comfort of grace until you reach a higher measure of holiness. Legalism is ultimately withholding. And it creates these tears where it seems like, oh, this person's a better Christian. That person's loved by God more. This is the Pharisees in the New Testament. Those who think that they're holy. But these are the people who Jesus exposed because ultimately all of them were sinners and it said, he who's without sin cast the first stone were all sinners. 
legalism often creates this sense of either restless exhaustion. Because you keep pressuring yourself or pressuring others to get to another level, but you're withholding grace, so you're just like, is this even worth it? Or on the other hand, legalism justifies that you've reached a level of holiness that others don't have, and then you develop this sense of self-superiority and self-righteousness that is really distasteful to the culture and really divisive in the church. We can bend too much to the call of the gospel to neglect to the comfort, or we can do the other. We can bend to the comfort and the neglect of the call. And if we overemphasize the comfort and neglect to the call, we end up not in legalism, but what we can call relativism. Relativism. There's, there's no, okay, let's say it like this. Yes, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are a new creation in Christ, but you don't need to live in a new way. You're made new, but you don't need to live new. Relativism would say, neither do I condemn you, go and keep living the way you were before. Relativism would say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, so by the Spirit, just be comfortable with the deeds of the flesh. Which is the problem with relativism. The the gospel offers us real change, real hope, real joy, real peace, real security, real satisfaction. Relativism ends up stunting the power of the true gospel, and it can create this sense of hopeless despair. Because in wanting to emphasize the comforts, but minimizing the call, it naively minimizes the real pain of sin that really exists in every person's heart, even if we're forgiven in Christ. And by saying you don't need to change, you don't need to put sin to death, you don't need to turn and follow Jesus, you're choosing to allow that person to linger in poison that Christ saved them from. And it causes the sense in us when we overemphasize the comfort but don't invite people to the call that they're just stuck. And they can't really change. But listen, a gospel mindset offers a better way for us to build into the church. It's time to get building in this way. To build up as a community, as a movement that embraces a balanced gospel down with the sense of self-superiority, down with this multiple tiers of who God's love, down with compromising holiness. Here's what Tim Keller says. I love this. The gospel is the good news that we are at the same time more sinful and flawed than we could ever imagine, yet more loved and accepted that you could ever dream. This is the balance of the gospel. And a gospel mindset is humble enough to recognize that I need this the most. That's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And we not need, we may feel a sense of guilt for our sin, but we don't need to linger in the shame. We may feel the struggle in our sin, but we don't need to uh, be overcome and give up like we can't get through. 
We're more sinful than we can imagine, yet we're more loved than we could ever dream. The balance of the gospel, the comfort and the call will enable us to be able to interact with it together in a way that is united and in a way that is fruitful so that as a community and as a movement, we can build. It's time to get building. This, I think, is the first precious material that we absolutely need. And then these next two, there's certainly more, but these next two are vital along with it. And I'm going to give you them both back to back, all right? Abiding prayer, okay? And love. We'll go into each of them in detail in a minute. And I invite you to turn to John chapter 14 for us to see the first one in abiding prayer. So you hear those words, and I know what you're doing. You're at home, you're nodding your head. Yes, yeah, prayer is important. Of course, love, yeah, love is important. Yes, we need love, of course. I doubt anyone who is a part of a church and a follower of Jesus Christ can hear those and be like, yeah, not important. But though we say it with our words that's important, is it proven in our actions? Because I think for many of us, prayer and love can become more of a ceremonial monument rather than vital building materials. If we're not careful, prayer and love can become like the national anthem played at the beginning of a basketball game, right? We do it, then we get to the real game. And it just become this ceremony that we just pass through and maybe marvel at, mm, yes, that was a good rendition. Mm, yeah, you twirled your notes there really well there. Let's get to the game. Has prayer and love become that in your life? A plaque on the wall, a ceremonial aspect, but not actually the DNA, not actually the material in the wall. It's, it's more of the, uh, the stucco on the outside of the building rather than the steel holding it up. Planning events and leadership meetings become more important than prayer meetings. Following charismatic and catalytic Christian influencers becomes more popular than honoring the simple unseen acts of sacrificial service. This is some of the results of what happens when it becomes just a monument or a plaque or a ceremony. And I think, really, the motivating heart that moves us away from prayer and away from love is when our measure of what success looks like in the church becomes twisted. What does a successful church look like? See, God cares about character more than giftedness. God cares about service more than skill. God cares about his glory more than a church brand. But churches can faithful, faithlessly churches can faithlessly choose to care more about measurables that are easy to track on charts and graphs and spreadsheets. Facility size, budget, attendance. It might look stable. It might look beautiful. But actually, maybe you've been building with wood 
and with hay and with stubble. Do we care about what God cares about? Let me show you the vitality of what it's really like when we really build with abiding prayer and love. And I admit, I need to grow in this. I need to put more time in more effort into praying first. I need to give more attention to listening first rather than just assuming and acting. Let's try and understand the key indicators of prayer and of love that shows if we've actually missed it. And to do that, let's listen to see what Jesus says about prayer. It is remarkable. John 14 John 14, verse 12 to 14, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Awesome. And greater works than these he will, he, will he do. Wow. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's pretty remarkable. Jesus wants us, through the Spirit, to be able to do works in a way that have a scope and a scale through, because his Spirit is in all Christians that expands what the scope and the scale that he had in the small region that he was in when he did his ministry. And it can when we pray. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. The motivation, the reason, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, yes, God is creating us for worship and for maturity, for evangelism and for mercy, but all of it, the end result, when the house is built, it's that the man who built that, the one who built that, the God who designed that deserves the glory. And the way that it's built so that God gets the glory is through prayer. What might be the indicator that prayer has become a more ceremonial monument than critical building material? I think Martha is a really good example. Overwhelming busyness marked by restless anxiety. Do you see that in your life? We're too busy to pray. We're too anxious to have a sober mind to bring our requests to God. I know I can be subject to that. But the gospel mindset, again, helps us to be able to put prayer in its place. The gospel mindset keeps us in balance so that we can be really devoted to prayer. See, the call of the gospel invites us to be a co-worker with Christ as he builds this church. And the effort taken in it can be agonizing. But... The comfort of the gospel recognizes that even all the effort I put in, I don't affect any change. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, He who plants and he who waters is nothing but only God who gives the growth. The call of the gospel is to be a co-worker, to work with Christ. The comfort of the gospel recognizes with all my effort, I can do nothing. So this balanced mindset teaches me two things that I really want to learn in 2021. I will work as hard as I can within the God-given limits of my health, my time, my family and career responsibilities. I will work as hard as I can, yet I'll devote my best 
and first hours to building into the church with prayer. This is the way Jesus lived. Jesus worked furiously, but would often withdraw for hours in solitude, even praying throughout the night. Even praying when other people wanted him to get to work. And God helped me to pray like Christ. And God helped me to love like Christ. Along with prayer, love is vital to the work in the church. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Or excuse me, chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 8. Again, no one's disagreeing that love is a critical value to the church. No one's disagreeing that you need to stay hydrated, right? But what did you drink more yesterday? Coffee and tea and soda? Or actual water? You might say, we might say love, love, yes, but it can be really easy for us to overlook it. Let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 1-8. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Is your life marked by love? I know I want to be more devoted to it. What would be a key indicator that you've missed the mark of love? One of the key indicators that we've fallen short of true love is to ask yourself, does my public image match my private life? Thankfully, this is one of the reasons that the scriptures require qualifications for elders to be that he manages his home well and that he has a good reputation with outsiders. Because at church, he can look like the best listener. But at home, he could brush his kids right off. At church, it could look like he's so devoted to the mission of Christ. But at home, his neighbors don't even know his name. True love loves in a self-giving, other-focused way wherever I am and whoever I'm with. Self-giving, others-focused. I love the picture of uh, Timothy in the book of Philippians. Paul said about Timothy, I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy served faithfully with Paul. Timothy sought the interests of Christ and looked to others' interests first. Timothy's life is a great example of love. Yet Timothy also 
was afraid of loving when it was hard. Because Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy that the aim, don't leave Ephesus. He wanted to. The aim of our charge is love. He had to correct false teaching, but he was afraid to. Paul told him, stay. The aim of our charge is love. And the gospel, a gospel mindset keeps us in balance so that we can love in a self-giving, others-focused way. The comfort and the call. The comfort of the gospel reminds us that God showed us love when I was a sinner. God doesn't show me impartiality. God doesn't have multiple tiers of who deserves his love. Neither should I. The comfort of the gospel, the call of the gospel understands that loving others is a command. We're commanded to love our kids. We're commanded to love our spouse. We're commanded to love our neighbors. We're commanded to love our small group members. True love that is others-focused and self-giving comes at a cost. It will. But it won't be withholding because it knows the command and it was willing to pay the cost even if we receive nothing back. God help me. It's time to get building. A gospel mindset, balanced in a way that is devoted to prayer, to see greater work done, and that loves as Christ did. Maybe you haven't been building, and you're feeling really burdened by this message. Or maybe you've been building, and, but you've realized you've fallen short and haven't been building with the right materials. So I want to close by asking this last question. How can we start building today? According to the blueprint, with the right materials, as a co-worker with Christ, as he builds his church to be a community of worship and maturity and a movement of evangelism and mercy. Here are two things that I would encourage you to do today. Number one, learn apprenticeship. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that he built like a skilled master builder. And you know, there are some people in our church who have the age and experience like Paul, where, man, you're a master builder. You're praying, your love, your grasp of the gospel, your investment to others. It has been fruitful and fruitful for years and proven. And you know what? We need you. We need you to teach younger men. We need you to teach younger women. We need you to invest and build into the church, not just by showing up weekly for the program of small group, but investing into the fellowship and the life of others by saying, follow me as I follow Christ. We need you. And maybe you're young and you recognize that you want to learn and you want to grow. Then you need to watch. You need to look. You need to develop these relationships and ask that the Lord would bring a master builder who can help teach you apprenticeship and develop you in your giftedness, in your character, to be someone who loves and prays and is balanced by the gospel. This is how discipleship works. Together. Learn apprenticeship and then check your priorities. Because the day's coming when everything we do is going to be heaped up in an altar and put to fire. And you know what? Many of us may be surprised about what ends up in the ashes at the bottom of that. Are you building now? For now? 
or are you building now for eternity? When you live in the light of the return of Christ now, it will radically transform your priorities today so that you'll learn to build your life according to the design and with the materials that God is building. And you'll be able to build what is truly stable and beautiful in God's eyes. It's time to get building. God has designed us to be a community of worship and maturity, a movement healthy and vibrant of evangelism and mercy. And when we build with a gospel mindset, with abiding prayer, and with love. But just watch and see what God does. Father in heaven, thank you for the work that you are doing in building your church. And thank you that we can be co-workers with you in that work. I get excited thinking about these things, Lord God, but I recognize that I have so much to grow in. Help me, Lord God, to love in a balanced way like Christ does. God, forgive me for treating people with partiality and not loving like Christ. Forgive me for failing to be a good listener. Forgive me for neglecting love when it might come at a cost or might not get anything back in its place. God, forgive me for pride, for thinking that my effort and my planning is more important than abiding prayer. You said that greater works will be done when we pray. Help me give my time and energy to that first and let all of these things, Lord God, be shaped by a balanced gospel mindset. God, please take our church like clay, mold us and shape us through the gospel that we might be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.